Hey, good morning, everyone. Nice to see you here this morning. So this morning, we're going to continue our discussion on spiritual gifts. And this is actually a timely discussion because last night I discovered I have a new spiritual gift. It's called projecting anxiety onto my television set as I watched the Oilers game last night. Are you with me on that one? <laughs> oh, man. Well, anyway, we, um, we are talking about a very important thing here with the spiritual gifts. Because as Christians, um, how we view spiritual gifts and how we see ourselves in light of that is a very important thing in how we live out our Christianity. This week, we're going to be expanding upon the foundation that David and Pastor Dave have been placing down for us over the past number of weeks, looking specifically today at love gifts. And then we're going to zero in on one particular passage of scripture and what it can teach us about spiritual gifts. It was 2003 when I was able to convince a young woman by the name of Michelle Morris to marry me. And it's been almost 19 years now here in June that we have been married and we have been slowly over the years weaving our life together. And while marriage is truly this wonderful gift from God, you know, there are moments in any relationship, but I would think especially in a marriage relationship where you realize that you're living with a truly difficult and stubborn human being. Her words, not mine. She didn't say that. <laughs> For Michelle and I, there was never a more apparent time that God had created us to be two very different people than in our first year of marriage. And uh, we were married very young. And while I wouldn't go back and want to change anything, there are some things that I wish I would have known about marriage and love before we got into that. Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. And in this book, he talks about how we all communicate love in different ways. And it's important that you know your partner's love language because it's important to know when they're communicating that they care about you and that they love you. So the five love languages are acts of service, gifts, words of affirmation, quality time, and physical touch. This book was an important discovery for Michelle and I because we were speaking different love languages early on in our marriage and it caused us to in, um, uh, misinterpret our expressions of love for one another. One of my love languages is acts of service. So early on in our marriage and even to this day, I try to work really hard around the house. I take care of everything that I can uh, to show my wife that I love and I care about her. Now, the problem is, is if you see somebody in your house doing all the work and you don't like doing that kind of stuff, you can sit back and go, oh, well, maybe if he's going to do all that, then maybe I don't have to do it as much. She obviously helped out and stuff, but you can see where you could have some problems there. For my wife, her love language is gifts. So she feels loved when I think about her and then I buy her some small token of uh, to of, of affection for her. And that communicates that I love her. So if I come home with a Slurpee, even if it's minus 30 outside, my wife feels like she's the most special and important person that God has ever placed in my path, which is true. I just don't understand why it takes a Slurpee to tell her that. Early on in our marriage, she came home and she had bought a gift for me, a small token of her affection. And I was angry that she came home and bought me this gift because as I said, we were both quite young and as a result of that, we didn't make a lot of money. Our household income was about $1,000 a month and it was nowhere near enough to make ends meet. And so when she came home with that gift, it upset me. What, had, what she had meant to com communicate affection to me was just seen as a waste of money and so I didn't appreciate what she was trying to show me. 
But in addition to that, all the work that I would do around the house seemed to go unnoticed and it made me feel like I was some kind of a workhorse instead of a husband. And so you can see how, um, how we communicate love and understand how we do that and communicate with one another is important because if we um, don't know that, we may mistake their affections for something other than what it was intended to communicate. Gary Chapman's book helped us realize that we both were trying to intensely show each other that we loved one another um, but we were not perceiving it that way. And that realization uh, made one of the most profound differences in our marriage. She could see that when I worked hard, I was trying to communicate that I could take care of her and that I loved her and that I cared for her. And I could see that she loved me because she would even take some of the last little bits of money that we had to buy something nice for her husband to show him that she loved him. Can you see how our understanding of love displayed can make a huge impact in our relationships? Two weeks ago, Pastor Dave was talking to us about um, how diversity through our gifts can bring unity in the body of Christ. But it's only through a deep understanding of the different gifts and how God plans to use those in community and our understanding of that that we'll ever be able to achieve unity. Just as it's important in a marriage relationship to understand and know love languages, so it is in the body of Christ to know and understand spiritual gifts and how they play out in community. In our study so far on spiritual gifts, we've been drawing on wisdom from people like Robert Clinton and Peter Wagner and John Thompson. And it was Robert Clinton who first defined or categorized the love languages for our, uh, the, the spiritual gifts for us into word gifts, love gifts, and power gifts. The word gifts clarify the nature, action, and purpose of God. Love gifts show the love of God in practical ways, and power gifts demonstrate the power, presence, and nearness of God. And so for our purposes in this series, we have been using these gift categories to explain and make it easy to speak about spiritual gifts. But it's important to understand that these spiritual gift categories are not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't break these things into these different categories. So we need to know that as we approach this. This is just a human-made thing to make it easy for us to understand. And it's also, I think, important, just kind of as a sidebar here, that the lists of spiritual gifts that we see in the Bible are not exhaustive. There's no, uh, there's no, um, it's not obvious uh, or spoken to us that these things would be exhaustive lists. So there could be additional gifts. As we look through the Bible, we see these different gifts played out. No one list appears to be exhaustive. The passage that we're going to look at today is 1 Corinthians 12. Now, we've been combing over this passage quite a bit over the number of uh, weeks here. You can turn into your Bible right now if you want to. We're going to look specifically today for context purposes at chapter uh, 12, verse 1 through 11. And as we read over that, we're going to look at it for context, but then we're going to zero down on just one verse. And as we read this verse, remember that the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church of Corinth. This was a church that he had, he had set up three years earlier, and he had spent about a year with them setting this church up, and then he had since moved on to the region of Ephesus. And this is where he wrote the letter to the Corinthians, was in Ephesus. The cool part is, is a few years later, about six years later, Paul writes another New Testament letter that we have in our Bible today to the church of in Ephesus called Ephesians. And so the church in Corinthia at the moment has been on their own for about two years as Paul is away on a missionary journey. And Corinth was a, a, a city that was not unlike Canada is today. It was very multicultural. It was quite wealthy. 
The problem with the church in Corinth, though, is it had allowed the religious and cultural influences of the day to come in and harm the church. They were continually practicing a hierarchical system in the church. They were placing uh, different people in different social categories. They would dress in a certain way to let people know that they were, you know, the king of the hill on the top of the heap, and this is going on in the church. They would also competitively evaluate the preaching in the church. Can you imagine that? Pitting Paul against others, and, and, and this was going on openly in the church, and they were also taking the different spiritual gifts, and they were saying, these gifts are more important than those gifts, and we don't even need those gifts in the church, but that is not what God had planned. So let's read in chapter 12. We see Paul trying to tackle the errors that was going on surrounding spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Now about the gifts of the spirits, brother, spirit, brother and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. And what he's referring to here is in Corinth, they would go through in a processional in the streets, leading each other to pagan, to, to pagan temples, and they, and they would follow these mute idols as they went through the city. And so he's saying, you know how at one point or other you were led astray and following these mute idols to the temples in the city? Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. Again, he's talking about another cultural influence here. The Jewish people who didn't believe in Jesus and, and said he wasn't the Messiah, these people believed because of a passage in Deuteronomy that anybody who was nailed to a tree was cursed. And so they believed because Jesus was nailed to a cross that he was cursed, therefore he could not be the Messiah. And so that's what he's talking about here. He's saying nobody who is speaking by the Spirit of God can say Jesus be cursed. And then he says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Again, he's saying, hey, if you can say Jesus is Lord, that is because you have the Holy Spirit within you and he has allowed you to see that Jesus is in fact the Lord. He goes on to say, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them, in everyone, it is the same God at work. Again, he's talking about, we have one spirit in us, all of us as Christians, and we do different works, but it is the one and only spirit doing that. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So that kind of sets up the context for the verse that we're going to be looking at today. And the verse that we're going to look at is verse 7, which is, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. If we look at this verse closely, we can see quite quickly that there are three things that we can learn from this verse about spiritual gifts. The first phrase right off the bat, now to each one, tells us a great deal and sets the groundwork for a theology on spiritual gifts. God's plan is for all believers to play a role in the kingdom. And this is evidenced by him taking and imparting spiritual gifts on the believers, on his followers. There is no Christian who lacks the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there is no Christian who lacks the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You are chosen as a Christian. 
you know, you are special to God as a Christian and Christ has set his seal upon you as a believer through the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 1.22. That means that each of us has a role to play in the kingdom of God. In the latter half of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul shares with us this idea that the church is the body of Christ. Each member carries a specific function in that body. Now, the metaphor of a body here is a good one because a body is a living organism. And so a living organism knows when one part of the body or one part of itself is not working properly. A machine, on the other hand, doesn't operate like that. A machine doesn't care if one thing isn't working or another. My SUV this week gave me a very expensive sermon illustration that I want to share with you. So sit up in your chairs, listen. This one cost me a fortune. <laughs> on Tuesday morning when I was driving to work, my front tire on the driver's side of my car started making some noise. And based on what I could see was happening, I thought, oh, I think it's probably just a brake caliper that seized up and I'll probably, I'll try to fix it later. Well, that turned into new front wheel bearings on both sides, a complete brake, brake job with pads and rotors, uh, front wheel bearings, like uh, uh, um, ball joints, like the whole front end was redone on this vehicle this week. So very expensive lesson. But here's my point. When I was driving this vehicle home, thinking it was in pretty decent shape, um, on Tuesday afternoon, the wheel was making all kinds of noises, but the engine didn't have a problem. It was working just fine. The other four wheels, and one could argue that those four wheels are a part of the wheel family, and so the wheel that wasn't working should have meant something to them, that those wheels could have cared less if that wheel took off down the highway in the car or whatever. Those wheels just kind of continued on doing their own thing. It's not like that in a body. A body knows when something isn't working properly. When your arm starts work, stops working on your body, your body knows that. And you compensate. You do different things to compensate for the lack of use of that arm. And you grieve the fact that that arm isn't working. Don't believe me. Just try to zip your coat up with one arm later today. Your whole body is involved in that process. And it's a very difficult thing to do. So to each one of us, God has given a specific function and a purpose in the body of Christ. And it's important that we fulfill that function. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are also seen, are, not, are also not just for super Christians and the spiritually elite. Uh, the city of Corinth was filled with people from all over the place. And many of these people were what we call freed slaves. These people would have known what it was like to be marginalized in society and looked down upon like they weren't worth it and they had nothing to offer. But in a radical departure from the norm, Paul steps in and he says, no, now to each one, they weren't missed. The gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't just for certain people, the sinless, the popular, the people who know better. We are all on equal footing in God's house. We all enter by the same means. We are sinners who walk into God's presence because we are saved by his grace and mercy. No one is left out. This would have been good news to those people in the Corinthian church who are marginalized, the sinners who had, or the, the slaves who had been set free. They had great value in God's kingdom. And it's the same for us today. Have you ever felt that you have nothing to offer God or maybe there's nothing that he can use you for? Well, God has already placed his Holy Spirit in you. And he's already given you gifts and he has a plan to use those. We all have value in God's kingdom. Which leads to the second part. Verse seven reads, I'm just gonna skip ahead here. 
Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. The word manifestation here in this verse is the Greek word phanerosis, from the original phaneroo, which means to make visible what was hidden or to make known what was unknown. One of the ways the Holy Spirit's presence is, is made known in the life of a believer is through the use of our spiritual gifts. And we get to see this in two ways. First, we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life as we are enabled to use these gifts. Using our spiritual gifts illuminates the reality of his supernatural presence in our lives. And secondly, we get to see as we use our spiritual gifts, we get to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The question then for us is, do we know our spiritual gifts and are we using them in God's kingdom? You know, studying the word of God is great and prayer is important for our relationship with God. However, it needs to go beyond that. These are spiritual disciplines for us and what they do is they're an inflow into our lives. Again, very important spiritual disciplines, but there needs to be an outflow through the use of our spiritual gifts in order to help see God working in our lives. One of the problems that we can run into when we don't utilize our spiritual gifts in our daily lives is our Christianity, our faith can be all about the end game. Like our faith is only good to get us into heaven, but it doesn't necessarily matter right now. But that is not the way that God designed it to be. You know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit didn't get together in a group huddle before the world began and said, okay, here's the deal. Jesus, you're gonna die, and it's gonna clean these guys up, and then we're gonna be able to send the Holy Spirit secretly into their lives. That's not what it is. The amazing reality is, and we know this, is that God sends his Holy Spirit to dwell within us as believers. But that is a challenge that, or a, a, a knowledge that we need to take seriously because if the Holy Spirit is in our lives and he has given us gifts, then we need to think about that soberly because he has done that on purpose for us to use. Peter Wagner in his book, Discovering Your Spiritual Gifts says this, if each one of us knows what a particular, if each one of us knows what our particular function is in the body, we are then able to think soberly of ourselves and to launch into doing the will of God. Simply put, do you want to do the good and effective and perfect will of God as Romans 12, 2 says? If so, an essential step, not an optional one, is to know for sure what spiritual gifts he has given you. The Holy Spirit is in you and his plan is to manifest himself through you and through your spiritual gifts. So don't miss that part of your faith journey. It is a place where we can actually see God doing work in our lives. The final section of this verse uh, tells us why we are given spiritual gifts. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The gifts of the Spirit are meant to build up the body. You know, we get some benefit from these spiritual gifts. When we use them, we're, we're, uh, we get a sense of fulfillment and peace in our lives because we are doing something that we are created to do. And that is, a, that is a benefit for us. But that is not why God gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us spiritual gifts so that we can build up and support the body. And when we do that in a humble way, it brings worship to God. Romans 12, verses one, uh, 12 verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. How do we offer our bodies as living sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God? We take our will 
and our desires for our lives and we set them aside and we take on the will and the desires of the Father for our, for our life and then we use our spiritual gifts to accomplish the purpose for which we were created. And when we do this, we get a sense of peace and fulfillment in our lives. Just like when I use a garden tool in my garden, I'm fulfilling the purpose for which it was created. So it is with us when we use our spiritual gifts, set aside our desires and do what the Father wants us to do. We are fulfilling the purpose for which we were created and we receive fulfillment in that. But this is our true and proper worship. It's not lip service. You can't just sit there and mouth the words to the song. You know, I'm not saying we do that all the time, but every now and again, your mind is someplace else. When we're using our spiritual gifts, we are putting our money where our mouth is, serving God with our lives and using our spiritual gifts. We see many gifts in scripture. Last week we talked about word gifts and this week we're gonna talk a little bit more about love gifts. Love gifts demonstrate to the body and the individual that God loves and cares for them. There's this component, uh, this emotional component to love gifts that we don't necessarily pick up with any of the other gifts. There are four love gifts that we're gonna look at today. There's mercy, helps, administration, and giving. And the gifts of, of, of love, pardon me, are typically second chair gifts. They're supportive in nature. What they do is they build up what leadership gifts have already started. If you have a great leader who is very visionary and he's moving the church from one place to another, that's wonderful. But who is supporting the leader as that happens? And who is building up the congregation as they're along for this journey? This is where the love gifts, gifts come in. They demonstrate in very practical ways God's love for the organization and for the individual. Uh, the first love gift that we're gonna look at is mercy. We see this gift primarily in Romans 12, but in other areas we see in mercy as well. The gift of mercy, as Peter Wagner describes it, is the special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to feel genuine empathy and compassion for individuals, both Christian and non-Christian, who suffer distress, physical, mental, or emotional problems. And then they translate that compassion into cheerful deeds done, uh, which reflect Christ's love and alleviate suffering. People with the gift of mercy find joy in helping others. This is not just an emotional thing. It's a divine understanding to this person by the Holy Spirit and allows them to recognize the deep needs in others and, it, and they know how to meet those needs through compassionate care. Last week, uh, I had a lady call the church who was looking to connect with our widow-to-widow -widow group. She had suffered the loss of, uh, of somebody really close to her a couple of years ago in her life, and more recently had suffered the loss of two more individuals. And she was looking to connect with a group of people who could help her walk through this really difficult time. After chatting with her for a couple of minutes, God brought the name of an individual in our congregation to my mind. And so I connected the two of them. Well, in their first interaction with each other, they spoke for two hours on the phone. This is total strangers getting together or talking or whatever it was for two hours. This isn't a trained counselor. This is just a Christian person with the gift of mercy. That's what happens when you connect the gift of mercy and somebody with a hurting heart. They are compassionate and loving and they know what to do with a broken heart and spirit. These are the people that you want to have around you when you're hurting and life has been rough on you. The people with the gift of mercy are all the, also the people you want around when you need mercy. They are the first people to say, let's not, let's not judge them. We all make mistakes. 
When the rest of us are saying, crucify, crucify, these are the people who are saying, let's just give them mercy. If this sounds like you, then you might have the gift of mercy. Paul tells us in Romans 12 that if your gift is mercy, then do it cheerfully. For those of you with the gift of mercy, seek out the people that are hurting, those that the, with broken hearts, and the people who don't deserve mercy. When you do this, understand that you are expressing to them the mercy of God in a very tangible way. The next gift that we're going to look at is helps. This gift is also express, uh, is also an, expresses itself through service and hospitality. And we see this gift in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and Romans 12, 7. This is a special gift which meets the needs of the individual or the church in very practical ways and allows the person with this gift to experience the deep, fulfill, or deep fulfillment when they do. These people are selfless people. You know, they're less selfish than the rest of us because they're always looking out uh, for what they can do for other people. In preparation for this sermon today, I spoke with somebody who has the gift of helps, specifically the hospitality expression of it. And they said, somebody with the gift of helps is always looking for the needs of other people. You know, their motto is, if it's important to you, it's important to them. If you have the hospitality of expression of this gift, you desire to create an environment for people where they feel at home. Whether they're at church or they're in your house, you are thinking about their needs and you desire to create an environment where they feel at home wherever they are. People with, this, with the gift of help are the kind of people that you would see serving in our kitchens or setting up uh, the West Court before uh, COVID hit. Um, they are also the people who serve you coffee on Sunday mornings, and they're more than likely people who are involved in our meal train ministry, and that ministry is one that serves people in crisis. If you have this, the gift of helps, you can see the practical needs of the individual or the congregation, and you don't mind one little bit serving behind the scenes to meet those needs and make it happen. If you have that gift of helps, you may also enjoy serving at places like the Mustard Seed or Hope Mission because you just want to serve the needs of other people. Now, I'm not entirely sure what my mom's spiritual gifts are, but if I had to guess, I would say that she has the gift of helps. If you ask my mom to help you with anything, she will help you until the last little bit of it is done. Or if you ask her to get you something, she will get it for you. She will move heaven and earth to find it and she will get it for you. And if she can't find it, she'll buy you four different things that she thinks are the closest things to what you asked for were. Now, when I worked in construction, every now and again, we would do a project as a family and we would build a spec home or something like that. And while I would handle the bulk of the construction work, my mom and dad would come into the project at the end and they would help, you know, clean the house and do some of the finishing touches to get it ready for the new homeowners to take possession. If my mom was on the job site, she was always caring for everybody's needs. She would make sure that we were well fed, we were well hydrated and our needs were taken care of. You know, she wouldn't just go and buy you a sandwich. You would get a sandwich, a donut, and a nice drink, and a chocolate bar for later, just in case you were hungry again. And she would do this all the while, making sure that the house was as clean as possible for the new homeowners, because she was caring for other people's needs. If some of this resonates with you, then perhaps you have the gift of helps. The next love gift that we're going to be looking at is the gift of administration. And this gift is primarily seen in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Now, if you're like me, you're wondering, now how on earth is the gift of administration a love gift? 
The gift of administration doesn't necessarily care for individuals um, like we would normally think in a love gift. But the gift of administration, while it doesn't do that, it does care for the organization. The gift of administration gives people the ability to, uh, to sincerely care for the organization of the church and how a vision will come into reality. A person with the gift of administration cares how people and process function in the church. The person with administration cares how we uh, leadership is going to accomplish the vision it sets out to achieve. The gift of administration is not necessarily the office of the administration. Now, the office of administration is task-related. It's like bookkeeping, secretarial work, accounting, things like that. But the spiritual gift of administration can be different. It's not just administrative tasks. You experience joy if you have the gift of administration. You likely feel at home organizing people and tasks. You likely love process and systems. You experience joy when managing and consider the details in your work. You're also probably somebody who runs around with a checklist. Right now, people are getting elbowed. That's, that's you. That is the gift of administration. John Thompson says the gift of administration is like the helmsman on a ship. The owner and the captain decide where the ship is going and what the purpose of that voyage is. But the helmsman is at the wheel, making small adjustments and changes and taking care of the details that need to happen for the ship to get from point A to point B. Last week, Pastor Dave and I were discussing our messages uh, passages and things that we were going to be talking about in the spiritual gift service. And uh, he, he said to me, he said, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time unpacking the different spiritual gifts. And then I'm going to explain how they all point to Jesus. And he goes, basically, just define, explain, an example. And you can follow my template for that if you want. Now, this is a man with a gift of administration. Here's the system, Joel. Just follow the system and you'll be fine, right? <laughs> Now, I don't have the gift of administration, so I had no idea what he was talking about, but he was excited about it, and that was great. He also loves filling out surveys, which is an incredibly weird thing, but <laughs> if this is something that resonates with you, perhaps you have the gift of administration. The last gift that falls under the love gifts category is uh, the gift of giving. And we see this gift in Romans 12, 8 as well. Now, it's, as Christians, we're all called to give and to tithe. The gift of giving is different than our regular tithes and offerings. Our regular tithes have very little to do with money. It is actually a heart discussion between you and God. It's a measure, measure of your faith and a tangible expression of your obedience to God. When we tithe, we are saying to the Lord, I trust you to provide for our needs, and I'm doing this out of obedience for you. We can often think of many different things that we could do with our tithe money to spend on ourselves, but that's not what tithing is all about. It's us giving that over to God and saying, we surrender and we trust you to further your kingdom with this. The gift of giving goes beyond tithing. People with the gift of giving joyfully seek out opportunities to regularly give above and beyond. They have a sense of kingdom purpose with their money. They view all their possessions as God's and they want to steward them well. They understand that they are giving out of an abundance of what God has already given them. They take great joy when they have an opportunity to give. And then they also seek out additional opportunities to give. A person with the gift of giving often holds their possessions very loosely in their hands, understanding that at any moment, God could come and ask for some of those or all of them back 
And a person with the gift of giving would be totally cool with that. People with the gift of giving are thrilled to be able to give their resources and they're tickled pink that this is the gift that God has given them. You don't necessarily have to be wealthy or well off to have the gift of giving. That is not a prerequisite. God still blesses us and gives us this gift even when we don't have a significant means. Paul tells us um, that people with the gift of giving should give generously. That's like the green light for you if you're a giver, by the way. Go, give like crazy. I have a friend who's been blessed with significant means. And they give like crazy as well. And they have this unique perspective on, their, on their, uh, what they've been given by the Lord, their resources. They view their significant resources very, very openly in their hands towards God. For them, the, the Lord has given them this resource and they are to manage it. And one day they are to give it all back. When they die, just a small percentage of that is going to go to their kids. The rest of it is all going back to the kingdom. They're only managing this resource for the time being. If that's your mindset, you might have the gift of giving. God has uniquely gifted these people to find joy in understanding and managing how to manage God's resource as well. So that basically wraps up the love gifts, mercy, helps, administration, and giving. Do any of those stand out to you as gifts that maybe you have or somebody you know has? As we discover and are thinking through what our spiritual gifts might be, John Thompson says when we're trying to figure out our spiritual gifts, one of the things we should do is we should look at things that bother us or anger us in the church. He explains that often things that bother us are where our giftings lie. Here's an example of this from not that long ago. For my entire life, I have been praying, ending prayers with, in Jesus' name, amen. My entire life. A few months ago, somebody before church came up to me and rather emphatically said, I need to talk to you about something. I was like, oh, okay, this sounds really serious. We should have a discussion. And they said, it's not in Jesus' name. It's in Jesus' name. <laughs> and I chuckled with them and I kind of laughed about it. But they were quite serious and we had a discussion about this. Now you need to understand that nobody in my life through Bible school, I was a pastor before, no one has ever said, Joel, you're saying it wrong. No one. But even though nobody has said that, I thought, okay, well, whatever. They seem fairly passionate about it. It makes sense to me, I guess. I, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not a, a linguist. But, but I thought, I'm going to give it a shot. Well, old habits die hard. Sunday after Sunday, as I prayed in front of you, I would say, in Jesus' name, amen. And immediately I would think, this person is sitting in the pew and they're going, oh, this guy just doesn't get it. <laughs> so after several months of trying and trying and always failing, I come off the platform and I walked up to him and I said, I'm sorry, I'm trying, I just cannot get it. And they looked at me and they said, oh, funny, we looked into things and we discovered that in Jesus' name is actually sort of an older traditional way to say it. And in Jesus' name is a more modern and you know, um, accepted uh, terminology. And I'm wondering how long they would have taken to share that with me, right? Anyway, my point in telling you that story is I was right. <laughs> No, that's not what it was. My point in telling you the story is this. If somebody wants and is so passionate about grammar that they come up to you and they want to have a deep discussion with you about it, they might have a teaching gift, okay? Because people with a teaching gift care about the truth and they want to know well, that what is being spoken is the true and proper word of God. 
So if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, perhaps you need to start by asking yourself what bothers and frustrates you, because that might be an area where God is calling you to do work through your spiritual gifts. He has given you eyes to see and a passion in your heart to see where he might want you to do work, and he's already blessed you with the gifts to do that. I have a friend, uh, more of a mentor really, who has an incredible passion for... um, pro-life ministries. And he wanted that passion, uh, his passion, he wanted the church to have the same passion as him in that area. Now the church is in sync with him on that, but he, they couldn't match his passion for that. And so he was frustrated with the church. He was upset that they weren't able to do it. But this mentor also has the gift of giving. And he was able to take that fire that God had put in his belly and take his gift of giving. And he, even though the church wasn't able to satisfy his, his spiritual hunger to fulfill a need in this area, he was able to take those two things and put them together. And he's been able to accomplish tremendous things for pro-life ministries, helping people uh, over the years um, through his giving. But that started with him having uh, sort of a fire and a dis, uh, sort of an anger towards the church that they weren't doing enough. That's what God used in him to use this spiritual gift that he had to give more. And he's done a lot of good for that. So I want, I want, I want you to hear me when I say this, though, as I talk about us thinking about things that frustrate us or anger us. This is not an excuse to complain about everything as we think about what angers us. It is a call to reflect on where God might have gifted you to make a difference in the kingdom of God. In all of the areas of scripture where we see spiritual gifts mentioned, these passages are always couched with passages on love and spiritual fruit. The Bible is very clear that our spiritual gifts are meant to edify the body, not tear it down. The Bible or so, pardon me, so if you sense a frustration about something in the church, then perhaps that's God spurring you to action. It's a call for you to do something, to serve the body and to encourage you to be a part of the work that Jesus is doing in the world. Maybe it's time to get off the sidelines and start doing some work for God. We have a spiritual guest test online that you can check out. It's under the resource tab on our website. And we also have a class coming up if you'd like to know more. It starts this Wednesday evening, March the 18th, and it runs for three weeks. The Holy Spirit has seen to give each of us gifts. Where is he calling you to display his presence to the world through your spiritual gifts? That journey starts with you discovering your gifts. And then it makes a difference in the kingdom as you use these things played out in the community around you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have chosen us worthy to place your spirit within us. And in that, you have also given us a purpose and a plan for our lives. God, you have given us gifts. Help us to know what those are. See what they are. Give us opportunity to use them. Grow them in us and make us do wonderful, rich things as a community as we all practice and do these spiritual gifts together. And we ask for unity in that. In Jesus' name we pray.